All right, we are in week two, week two of Galatians. Uh, I'm, I hope that maybe you had some di- good discussion around week one. Uh, we're, gonna, we're trying uh, in this series to ground this equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, into some context. We're trying to ground it into some context. The book of Galatians does a really good job of that for us. The book of Galatians is going to speak really well about the gospel of Christ, the heart and the essence of the gospel of Christ, and the necessity for us to keep it the way that it is, to keep it the way that it is. Last week, we kind of led off this series by talking about the major players that we see in the book of Galatians. We talked about the Apostle Paul. Many of us are familiar with Apostle Paul. We talked about him as, as a Jewish individual, and his name was Saul then, and how he kind of persecuted the church. He killed Christians, but Christ kind of entered into his life, and, and, and Saul became the Apostle Paul because Christ revealed himself. He became a lover of Christ and was prolific in writing New Testament doctrine. And then we had a guy named Peter. Peter's an early disciple. Uh, there's, a, there's a group called the Judaizers, which, is, uh, which are Christian Jewish people who believe in Jesus, but they also believe in the law of, of Moses, the, 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 the Torah obedience. And those people are going to try to triangulate Paul against Peter in this book. And then the last group of people we talked about were the Galatians. The Galatians are just a motley crew of people. We've got some Hellenized uh, Grecians in the mix, the pagan religion with many, many gods. And then you've got, in the same area, you've got a very uh, Jewish background. And so these two are going to have an interesting kind of mix together. And so the main kind of contention in this book is over the area of justification. There's some issue in Paul defending his credentials, but mainly this is about justification. And justification simply means this, is how we are made right by God and how we stay right by God. How are you justified by God? And how will you be justified by God at the end of the life? And so that's the main contention. And so what these Judaizers are doing is they are teaching grace, salvation through Christ, but they're also saying that it's necessary for you to keep the law as well as a means of salvation, that you must have Jesus, but you must also follow the law in order to be saved. And Paul does not like it. He is frustrated with it. And he writes a very brief and direct book. And we know that he's frustrated by the way that he starts out his book. If you would read any other letter that Paul writes to the church, you would notice a greeting, you would notice a benediction, and you would notice a thanksgiving, and then the body of the letter. You don't see those present in the book of Galatians. You've got a greeting, a benediction to God, no thanksgiving whatsoever, right into the issue. And so Paul has a huge contention with the gospel that these Judaizers are preaching, and he's going to deal with it uh, accordingly. And so that's what we kind of talked about last week. Now let's kind of get into where we want to go this week. Where we want to go this week is to be really, really specific in understanding the gospel. Foundationally specific in understanding the gospel. We don't want to be an inch or a mile wide and an inch deep in understanding the gospel. We have got to be an inch wide and a mile deep in understanding the gospel, or you're going to go to places and and believe things that you should not be believing. You're going to add things to the gospel. You're going to take things away from the gospel that are going to lead to a confusion in your life. And ultimately, they can lead us towards destruction. And so we're going to walk into that reality of the gospel, and we're going to talk about, is that gospel inclusive? 
or is it exclusive? Is it both? We're going to talk about that, and then ultimately we're going to get to a place where we're going to talk about where the gospel has to find itself in our lives. Where does the gospel have to start in to be birthed in our life? Where does it need to intersect our life in Um, and we're going to discuss that later, and then I'm going to leave you with just a few questions to to carry on this week. So let's just go ahead and jump into our text this week. We're going to be in Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. We'll read this together. We read some of this last week, but we're going to go over it again. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now that there is not, not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed." Paul repeats that twice. That's important for us to understand. And then he goes on to say this uh, in the next slide. Oh, that for, for now, it says, for now I am seeking the approval of man or of God. Am I trying to seek the approval or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul is defending himself. And so the pervasive thought in this passage is that there is a term called the gospel, which is the good news of Christ that has a boundary to it. There are boundaries in it. There is definition and there is clarity that there is a way for man to be made right and to stay right by God. And that way is not up for your debate and it is not up for your alterations. If anyone wants to deviate or alter that message, this verse would say that they would be accursed, destroyed. Even if we or an angel from heaven would come down and tell you something different, they were accursed. Now, we're going to walk through the many differences in the kind of gospels that are being preached in weeks to come. But this week, we want to specifically call out the path, that there is a set direction. And listen, that direction is not inclusive. It is not inclusive. There is a way. It is a specific way. It is determined. It has boundaries. Jesus says in John 14 that I am the way, the the, the life, and the truth, that no one comes to the Father except through me. That is an exclusive message. That is a narrow message. That means for salvation has boundaries. It's about Christ. It's about what he has done for us. There's no other interpretation for that. The way is specific. The message is inclusive. The message is inclusive. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but receive everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but he sent him so that the world might believe and be saved in him. That is an inclusive message of hope. The world for those who believe. And so the way that we are saved is exclusive to Christ. The message is inclusive for those who believe. 
And so let's talk about the gospel. I love to talk about the gospel. I talk about the gospel a lot in my messages. We talked a couple weeks ago in Life 101, what the gospel is, what we believe. We, we simply put it down as four different kind of elements. We got God, you got man, you got Christ, and you got response. Those are the four elements that we list in the gospel. We want to get really deep and philosophical in understanding the gospel because it's important that we're very, very deep in this. And so we're going to use a lot of scripture today, read through a lot of scripture uh, because it's important that we understand this. So this is the gospel in the essence. This phrase is the gospel, the heart of the gospel, the essence of the gospel. It is grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. Grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. This is the basis of our salvation. And it is profound and it's simple. It's profound and it's simple. Grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. Knowing that simple gospel is important, but understanding why you need that gospel is just as important. And so we want to take some time today to talk about where we got as people. We want to talk about our story that we see in the Word for you to fully understand why we have to have the gospel. And so if we would look in the pages of Scripture, you would, you would see immediately that God creates this beautiful world that we live in. He creates everything. He is so holy, so glorious that all of that pours out onto the canvas of creation. He creates the moon. He creates the sun. He creates day. He creates night. He creates the animals of the land, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. He creates man and woman, and he says all of those things are good. It is an awesome place to be. I want to be in that place. There is communion directly between God and man. God walks with his people in the garden. There is a flourishing of life. It is awesome. Man is fully known by God and fully delighted in him. And we with God, we are fully delighted in God. And we fully know him. But what happens? What happens? There is a serpent who is Lucifer. It's the enemy, a fallen angel who deceives the woman Eve to believe that she needs to do something. When God creates everything, what does he do? He says, I have given you all of this. Everything that you see before you, go, prosper, enjoy, except for one thing. I'm going to put one boundary in here. Don't eat from this. Don't eat from this. One boundary. That's not a bad God. That would be like me saying, hey, guys, Bluffton. Go enjoy yourself without sin, okay? No sin is... Hey, go enjoy it. Have fun. Just, hey, don't move this mic stand. That's not a bad deal. That's a good deal for us. But what happens? Eve is deceived. She brings her passive husband into the situation. They believe that they can know God. They can be like God, that God is holding out on them. And they eat the fruit. And what happens? Chaos sets in. Death and destruction. Sin come into a world that it did not exist. And the world that we knew it, or God knew it, is fractured. In Genesis 3, this is what it says about that. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Remember, God and man walked perfectly together in complete unity and harmony. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, 
and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, I love that he blames his wife, the woman whom you gave to, to, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You will not find another, any other more heartbreaking verse in all of scripture besides that. We lived in perfection with God. And that verse says that we hid ourselves from God. That we are ashamed of ourselves. It's heartbreaking. And so the world becomes fractured and busted. All-out rebellion sets in. Sin and death enter into the world. And the most satisfying relationship that we've ever had, the most fulfilling relationship that we've ever had, God in us is fractured and it's broken. And God looks down on his creation, and this is what he sees in Genesis 6. He said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the, th of, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved his, him to the heart. It grieved our Lord to see us walking in that kind of bondage. And so we have chosen to follow our own way. And this isn't about Adam and this is not about Eve. You put yourself in that garden, you're going to do the same thing. We've created chaos and disorder, death and destruction, famine and disease. God cannot be around sin. He's holy. He's glorious. So much so that he can't be in the presence of imperfection, of sin. And so now we're separated from God. Completely separated from God in life and death and eternity. Because all sin has a consequence. Somebody has to deal with that sin. And so today we suffer with a lacking of a whole relationship with God. And our hearts and our lives know it. We feel it. And so as humans, we've messed this thing up. This thing is broken. And we are too. There is no way that we could ever bring ourselves back by our efforts into a right relationship with God. There is no way that we could ever fix what is broken inside of us. We can't. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible with these broken hearts on this broken earth. But that doesn't stop us. That doesn't stop us from thinking that we can. That doesn't stop us from thinking that our efforts, somehow we can make things right. We can't. In Proverbs 14, it, it says this. It says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That says that there is something that we believe to be right and true, but it's not. There is something in us that we think, oh, that's obvious. But God says, no, it's not. It means that we can't trust ourselves. And so listen, friends, if you think that you've figured this out, if you think that you have somehow achieved through your morality some sort of superiority to everyone else, that you have earned your right standing in front of God, that you have been able to fix what is broken inside of you, you're fooling yourself. The Bible would call you a fool to lean on your own understanding in your own way. 
There are things that we have that are good gifts that were given to us by the Father. There are things that we understand that were given to us by the Father. There are things that are helpful, helpful for us to live and survive on this earth and to do well. But none of those things that we have, none of those things that we understand, none of those things that we can do could ever fix us, could ever bring us back in a right relationship with God. You can't fix you. You can't. You can't earn righteousness. Righteousness is right standing in front of God. And so God, the giver of all the good gifts, knowledge, and critical thought and ability, he gave us all of those things for our good pleasure. And you have potential in all of those things, but your potential is limited. You have a limited potential. Hate to say that. Grow up, everybody's special. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you. The word says that you have potential, but it's limited. Just because you can swim doesn't mean you can cross the Atlantic to Greece. And just because you have ears to hear, a critical thought in your brain, and reason in your heart, it does not mean that you can make yourself right in the eyes of God. It doesn't mean that you can fix yourself. You and I are devoid of reality where we can save ourselves. Bad news. So what does God do? He knows he has to do something because he loves us. He has to find a way to make it right. And so he picks these ragtag group of people called the Jews. They are not great in number. They are not great in esteem, but God picks them anyways because that's the kind of God that we serve. He pours out his devotion, his blessing, his love onto these people. He carries them throughout time. He gives them the law. We're going to talk a lot about the law in weeks to come. He gives them the law for them to understand the standard of God. The law reveals our brokenness. It shows our ineptness. It cannot by any means save us. It simply points us to the fact that we need to be saved. And so God works in the world through these Jewish people as his chosen vessel to create a time and a place for him to enter into the world. He uses them as a vessel so he can reveal himself to the world in time and place. And that is so he can bring his creation back to him, to reconcile the world back to him. And how does he do that? Through his son, Christ. God in flesh, born of a virgin, born of no sin, no sin. So he can find a way to deal with our sin and death, which separates us from him. And so through Christ, God is going to atone for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, in this letter in Galatians 4, says it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, when he had, his plan had been carried out, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons, adoption as sons and daughters, that we can become children of God again. And how does one receive that? 
How does one receive that forgiveness and grace or receive that forgiveness and reconciliation? I kind of ruined it for myself. Grace through faith. How do we receive that blessing, that adoption? Grace through faith. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. I'm going to talk about works later on. But it's grace through faith. It's a free gift of grace because we can't achieve righteousness on our own. God is going to just gift it to us. <laughs> He's just going to give it to us. He's going to overlook our offenses through our faith in his son Christ who took our sin, who took our wrath, died on the cross, raised again, and then gives us, the Bible says, imputes to us his righteousness. God gives us his own righteousness because you can't do it yourself. And so Paul says, if you're going to add anything to that, you're going to hear from me. Because that is beautiful. That is simple. That is meaningful. Quit trying to pervert it. It's all that you need to know to be saved. Don't distract from what saves you, whether it's circumcision, whether it's baptism, whether it's following the law, whether it's Joseph Smith and his golden tablets of Mormonism, don't add to the gospel. It's a beautiful message. It's simple. It's perfect the way it is. It does not need to be altered. It's such a beautiful message of hope and salvation, of a great love that our Father has for us. But we as humans, we just got this tenacity to complicate things. We just love to make things harder than they really need to be. You see, the issue with the gospel is not the message. It's not the message. It's a good message. It's a great deal for us. The issues in any realm of reality with the gospel is where it rests in your life, where it intersects with your life. Where does the gospel birth out of in your life? This last week, I, I was outside. We're outside people and working in the landscaping, just enjoying the weather. Uh, Monday's my daddy-daughter day. I have my day off, and so I'm just outside with my, my oldest daughter, and we're working in the landscaping, picking weeds and such, and, and she just notices this little robin's egg. It's in the landscaping, and she, that's it. She's just taken by this egg, and she just focused on this thing, and, and she wants to hold it. She wants to touch it. She just wants to be all over this thing. And I, initially, I, and I like refused, but like she just, she was just overwhelmed with this love for this egg. And so we figured out a way for her to hold it and touch it. And she, she just, she made a nest in the ground. Uh, she just smothered this thing and she just sat there on her legs, laying down with her arms like this. And she just watched this thing. She talked to it. She was just swept away by this egg. And so I'm, off in the distance, and I'm working by a tree, and then all of a sudden, I hear that familiar cry for you parents, something happened. Ah. Runs up to me. What's going on, Camille? She broke the egg. She loved it too much. <laughs> she just cracked that egg, just like she did the baby Jesus. She just loved, <laughs> loved it too much. And she was heartbroken. <laughs> and she said, Daddy, it needs its mama. I said, oh, I know. It needs its mama, daddy. And then she would look in the yard and she would see birds. Is that the mama? Is that the mama? And it just, it led to a conversation. We just lay down in the yard and I broke the news to her. 
I said, honey, sweetheart, here's the deal. That egg, it's not going to become a bird. It's not going to become a bird. It's just going to stay an egg. And she asked her best question. Why? That's her best question. <laughs> I said, because that egg, it has to be in the nest for mama to come and sit on it and keep it warm for it to transform. It needs its nest. It needs to be with its mama, which led to a whole lot of other whys and wants. And... But the message was clear that that egg couldn't survive and it couldn't thrive if it wasn't in the nest. It had to be in the nest or it would always just be a beautiful blue egg. There's one place that egg needs to be to transform in the nest. And listen, there's one place the gospel has to find us for us to transform, and it's desperation. It's desperation. If we're going to walk in the freedom of life, if we're going to walk in the flourishing of life the way that God designed it, not a flourishing that's absence of struggle, but a struggle that we still find freedom in, the gospel has to intersect our life because we're desperate for it. Last week, I, I talked about our, our emotional world that we live in where we just have this propensity to ground our truth in, in emotion, that we reveal and define truth by how we feel, what I feel, and that the problem with that is that emotions, yes, are very real. They're very real, but they're not always truthful. When I'm frustrated, that's real. I'm frustrated, but is it necessarily true? Maybe my frustration was born out of some ridiculous circumstance where I assumed somebody's intentions that really weren't those intentions. Maybe I was worked up for no reason. Maybe that emotion was wrong. Doesn't mean I didn't feel it. Maybe it was wrong. So we've moved into this emotional world where we dictate truth by how we feel. And listen, we do this as Christians. We do this as Christians. We gauge our Christianity by how we feel. I just went to an awesome worship concert sang an awesome song, I feel close to God. I just went through this great study, guys. Just read this great book. I'm so close to God. I feel so close to God. Did you hear that sermon the other day? Man, I just felt so close to God after listening to that. We gauge our Christianity by how we feel. God gave us emotions. They are great. I love emotions. They make life fun. But did he ground truth in them? No. He grounded his truth in his word and in his person. He grounded his truth in his word and in his person. So in extracting our belief and our doctrines and our faith from our own personal experience, our own personal inward experiences is troublesome because they're so vast and unstable. And when we do that, we have a tendency to add to the gospel. We perverse the gospel because we get to a place where we go, I don't feel like I'm close to God. And so what do we do? You know what I need to do? I need to do this now. I see my friend doing this, so I need to do this now. I need to go read this book. Maybe I need to eat. What I need to do, I need to eat better. I need to eat this. I need to eat this. That's, I'll feel closer to God there. I need to get some frankincense. I need to put it right here under me. Then I'll feel closer to God. We think that we have to do something different. Friends, can I ask you this? Where did the, your belief in the gospel come from? Where did it come from? Is it grounded in emotion? Or is it grounded in truth? 
In other words, for my mind to get around it, if you were to walk into Cold Stone Creamery, yeah, somebody's going to Cold Stone today, guaranteed. <laughs> you would see this, right? Those are the sizes. Where does the gospel intersect your life based on those sizes? Those three sizes, like it, love it, got to have it. Where does the gospel intersect in your life? What do you believe about the gospel? Do you like it? Me too. I like it. But I like baseball as well. Do you love it? I love it. I do. I love it. But I love ice cream. That's why there's a cold stone imagery up here. Do you got to have it? Do you got to have it? The word says you got to have it. God says that you got to have it. The truth says you got to have it. Like it, love it, express emotions. Got to have it is about desperation. The one thing that that egg is desperate for is to be in the nest. And the one thing that we have to be desperate for is the gospel of Christ. You are a sinner condemned by your disobedience. You have no right standing in front of the Father. You cannot make your own way. You cannot redeem yourself. You cannot fix yourself. Friend, you have no way. The only way is the good news of Christ, the gospel. You've got to have it. And so are you desperate? Are you desperate for it? Your emotion has to become devotion. Emotion has got to become devotion. It isn't about feeling good. It's about your soul. It's about salvation. It's about the wholeness that comes through Christ. It's about his gift. A faith that is built on how we feel just leads to calamity. You are going to go up and down like a roller coaster from one thing to the next to make me feel closer to God, to make me feel like a Christian. And let's be honest, what is a faith that is built around emotion based on? Who's it about? It's me. It's us. But what is a faith that is built on desperation about? It's God. It's God. Emotion has got to become devotion. And listen, God will do whatever it takes. Your desperation and brokenness, you can't even claim that. Because the Lord has been working in your life forever to create some desperation, to create some humility. We look at the pain in this world, we look at the tragedy in this world, and we say, how could God? So distant, so unloving, so uncaring. It's not so, my friend. That's not so. You have a loving God who do, will do whatever it takes to create some desperation in you because he wants you. Some brokenness that you might come to understand his gospel because he wants you. He wants you and he will break you to get you. He will absolutely break you to get you because he loves you. We've got to have it, friends. We need the gospel. It is a great deal. There has never been a better deal in the history of humankind than the gospel. We need it. Grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. He's done everything that it takes to bring you back to him. Everything, every obstacle has been removed for you to come back to him. Faith. Faith in Christ. Christ. 
and nothing else. I'm looking forward to building off of this over the next few weeks. Maybe today you say, I got to have it. Because you got to have it. You got to have the gospel. So I want to leave you with just a couple questions for you guys to take this week and think about. Um, maybe you talk to them about at work or in your family or on the car drive. Is, uh, I want you to, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Christ? Don't let people not know the gospel. Don't let people be confused. What is the good news of Christ? Grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. And number two is, do you got to have it? Do you got to have it? Are you desperate for it? You know, I think sometimes that we get in these funks where <clears throat> we, we, we don't feel close to God, and so we think, well, what, what else do I need to do? I think the better question is, how desperate are you? Are you, are you creating places for desperation in the gospel, for devotion to the gospel? We've got to have it. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. You gave us a deal. We don't deserve it. You gave it. You love us so much, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to devoid our emotion in our Christianity. Not, not that we don't, we enjoy our emotions, but we don't ground our truth, Lord. We ground our truth in what you've said and who you are. That you've given us a gift of grace that through our faith, because of Christ, we can be made right with you. And so, God, press that on our hearts etch it in our minds. Help us to be solid and understand the gospel, that we might judge and test everything by it. We love you, Lord, and pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.